well, so here's here's some questions for you. I, you have had all of these teachers, all of these students. What are some of the things that you learned from your students that really uh, surprised you? You know, that's great because we were talking before about, and I, and I don't remember what the subject was, and something about learning. And yeah, that's the thing. I learn from the students mm-hmm. all the time. So what do I learn? Well, all kinds of things. I would have to think deep to think about some of the, the big things that I've learned. But, you know, it's everything from a student does something with a guitar and they do a certain fingering. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong fingering. That's, you don't want to do that. And then I'll, I'll say, wait a minute. Actually, there's that kind of works. Why wouldn't you do it that way? Mm-hmm. And then I try it, and I'm like, you know what? That's a good fingering. That's not typical, but it really works it in works. this situation, right? And so I've just learned something new, and I incorporate that, and I teach that to the next student. Huh. You know, and it's just like passing those things along. So, so it's kind of being open to... <clears throat> what the student's saying to you or asking you or what they're doing. And there's, as the teacher, the teacher's always, you know, I'm here to show you the right way to do right. things, right? Well, and and my philosophy is not like that at all when I teach. So, so let's say I teach somebody <clears throat> music theory and, you know, I, I'll, I'll preface the whole music theory thing. So music theory is the study of how pitches and I'll combine and make harmonies and melodies and stuff. And I'll say, you know, music theory, what is that? Is it some kind of laws of music that somebody made up? Mm. You know, did they make these rules up? Mm. Well, no, it's that people played music and then analyzing it after the fact, we've come to notice these patterns. So these are like underlying principles of music. Mm-hmm. These are. This is the way it was done. Therefore, this is the way it should be done from now on. Right, and the and and I go a step further with that. Is here's why it was done because there's an underlying principle mm-hmm. under that 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 is truthful that makes it sensible to do it that way. Right. Right. It, the, in other words, people didn't make it up, and then it was a good way to do it. They discovered it. Yeah. Right, so it's like they discovered gravity, and gravity works a certain way, and because gravity works a certain way, people have learned to handle it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so pitches, people didn't make up, and didn't invent pitch. Right, it was already a thing. It pitch is a thing that God made. Right? right, so and pitches have frequencies, and they combine certain ways because of the math, of the underlying math, math right, science. and so. And so that that's why people gravitate towards combining them these ways, mm-hmm. but it's not right. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Right, it, but you know, it it goes further in that music's a great thing to teach because it encompasses so much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we use the twelve tone system, a piano of twelve evenly tuned notes, right. But that there's so there's so many other pitch systems that have been around and from other other cultures and from other time periods and what makes them sound right 
to the people there. So music has this aspect of, yeah, there are underlying scientific principles, but it's also like a language mm-hmm. in that it's something you hear, and people pick up languages by hearing them and imitating them. So in other words, I speak English because everybody around me spoke English. I hear music in 12 even-tempered notes, if that's the right it's word. It's well-tempered clavier. Well-tempered, yeah. yes. I, I hear music in 12 tempered notes because that's what I heard, <laughs> right? Yeah. But people from other cultures hear music in nine-tone scales that have notes in between our notes and all right. that, and they're used to hearing it. Right, so it's right to them. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just, it's, now there's underlying principles about why you say one works this way, and one, so, you know. It's incredible the amount of scales that you can create uh, with just dividing no- or dividing an octave in different ways, or what we consider to be an octave. Uh, it, some of the scales that I've run into are super interesting, where they have like 13 notes in one scale, and it's not it's a non repetitive uh, or there's some notes there's some scales that are, are non repetitive. There's no octave. Right. So it is. So it's it's just wild to me that that. Uh, and they make really in- really interesting music that sounds it sounds weird, but it's not bad. It just in- intrigues you, right? So you know, I guess the the underlying question there is: Had you heard music made of those tones from the time you were a baby, would it sound natural? Would would you be hearing kind of an inside? melody to it that you sort of don't hear now because you're not used to distinguishing one note from another or or is that not true at all i'm not sure that, that sounds like because because i listen to music on you know people make what are called quarter tone guitars so they yeah. take the 12 frets of a guitar and they put an extra fret and there's quarter tones and yeah you can hear the difference between a quarter tone a quarter tone is what makes blues blues because when yes. people are bending notes, they're you get neutral thirds in between the yeah. notes, right? So, and that's expressive and that's cool. But then when I hear people try to play music on the quarter tone guitar without bending notes or p- sort of putting it in that realm, but actually just playing, it just sounds out of tune. <laughs> I mean, it's, it doesn't sound, and and I want it to work. Because that's the part of me that's kind of a systems person or whatever. Like I like to get to the nuts and bolts things, which is also good for a good kind of uh, temperament to have when you teach. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of teachers, people that not people that teach, but they don't necessarily enjoy it. But they don't like getting to the sort of nuts and bolts underneath because if you can get to that, it's easier to diagnose what's going on with a student and sort of yeah. help them. It's easy, to, make pro- changes. It's easy to progress. Yeah, that make them help them progress. And say, well, you know, I've looked at why we hit a drum like this, you know, and here's the principle behind it, and teach that to the student, and then things, you know, then now they have the, they have the building blocks. Right. right. So yeah, building blocks wise, I want quarter tones and things like that. These more esoteric ways of thinking about it. To work, but then when I hear it back, it's not, it's not achieving it. I'm like, okay, 
Maybe quarter tones aren't the way to go. But that's kind of how I approach art and just sort of everything that I like to learn about or whatever. I don't really learn it because somebody told me this is the way you do it. Mm. I learned terribly that way. So if somebody says, here's a seven-tone scale. It has a whole step, a half step, or whatever. Here's how you do it. And I'm like, okay, great. Why? Why? Because you say so? Right. What if I did it this way? Then wouldn't that work? So what I tend to do is take some concept that I've been taught and then try to make my own. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to formulate it this way. Mm -hmm. And normally what happens is I start to rebuild my own way of doing it. And as, as I'm doing that, I realize, oh, that's why they do it this way. Because, because it, it makes sense. Makes sense <laughs> now I know. Yeah. Now I know why it makes right. sense, right? And that's important to know. Yeah, it is. It's very much important. To a know. lot of people don't, and, and that goes to different personality types. I've right. found, right? Because there's a lot of people in life that that doesn't help them to know why it, you do it the right way. Yeah, it's just an extra curiosity for them. They know, and they don't even want to know. It's that's, that's almost right, a burden. Enough, yeah. Like you try to explain it to them, and it's like a burden to them. It's their personality. It's their temperament and bent. They're better just like tell me how to do it, and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of envy them in one sense, but I'm just that's not me. To me, it's like you tell me how to do it, and I'm like, okay, I'll try that now. But why can't I do it this way? And I'll try it my way, mm-hmm. and then. Be like, okay, now I understand why we do it this way. And a lot of people don't. So and when we, if we want to relate this back to music, I think a lot of musicians don't understand time signatures. Yeah. Like two four and four four and three four and two two and like why not? Well, okay, let me I'll test you. You're a composition okay. major, so let me see how this goes. Okay, why do we call 4-4? Four, four, how come sometimes we don't have to write the numbers 4-4? Four, because four? we know, we were taught from the very beginning that the 4 on top is how many beats there are, yeah. and the 4 on bottom is what kind of note gets the beat. Yeah. Right? So 4 quarter notes is 4-4. Four, four. And we often call that common time, so we write a C. Yeah. Why is 4-4 four, four common time? It's most likely because it's what we've been accustomed to. Well, that would be the most, it'd be like, oh, well, it's the most common time, so it's C. I don't think so. Although, I I don't study music, musicology or music history, so I may be just making this up, but I think there's something to this. 4-4 is common time because that's the the measure, that's a whole. A whole. Right? Yeah. And we name our notes off of that. So when we call a note a quarter note, it's a quarter of what? Of a whole. Of a whole. There's four in the common time. If we have a half note, there's two. It's It's the C with the cut in it. Well, that's cut time. Cut time is still a whole. Yeah, it's a C with a cut. Exactly, right. It's still a whole. You're just, it's two halves. But there's two halves. In it's like, uh, and, and I had to kind of come to this conclusion to, to teach people time signatures like six eight is six eighth notes, 
and three four is three quarter notes, how many eighth notes are in three four? Six. Six. So it's six eighths. So it's six eighths. So six eight has six eighth notes. Three four has six eighth notes. What's different? It's the way you play it. It's the way you phrase it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's the main and it's the way you write it. It's the way you write it as well. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then so the time signature is a fraction of a whole. It's that mm -hmm. simple. So if I have a measure of five, five four, it's five fourths the size of C of a whole. Huh. It's fractions. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Fractions of a whole. So there. So see, that's like the nuts and bolts. And well, how do I arrive at those conclusions? By trying to teach it. Like, yeah. how do I explain this to somebody? And then I have to start to think about it another way. And that's what the kinds of things I can learn from my students because I start the conversation with them. And I tell them what I don't know mm. or what I do know or what I think. And then they give me ideas back. And then we, And then I come up with something. And I'm like, that's cool. And then I teach everybody else that same way from that point on. So I have I have methods that I use to teach students things that I've named after other students. Huh. Right? They came up, helped me come up with the idea or came up with the idea or whatever. Well, that's funny. That's something I would do when we got into more advanced music theory with like modes and, and all that, like uh, borrowed chords or... Uh, tertiary medians, uh, it really, really complex jazz stuff. I'll say that. Um, I always came up with my own ways because the ways that uh, the the teachers here taught it was, uh, they had a, they have a, each teacher here has a, has a a specific way of teaching, and they only know that way, right? So. If, for me, I learn in a multitude of different ways. It takes me multiple uh, reasonings, multiple methods of learning something to learn something. So for modes, it, it would you know there's there's uh, Ionian, Phrygian, and Dorian. I'm not saying these in order because they're coming to my mind as I speak. Uh, Mixolydian, Lydian, Aeolian, uh, Locrian, and so on and so forth. In the way that, that they would teach it, it was like, okay, imagine C, C's, C major scale, right? All white keys. If you take the C major scale, that's that's the major scale, but it's also called Ionian. You start it on D, keep all the white keys, that's Dorian. Uh, if you start on E, that's Phrygian. If you start on F, all white keys, um, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian, where you get your minor scale, etc. And so the way I started I started thinking about it, because then, then you have to deal with like... Uh, secondary dominance, like all that jazz, and like trying to figure out, okay, what mode are they in? How are they switching to a different mode? And all these mind-blowing concepts that are hard to understand when I started, because I didn't take music theory in high school. I started taking music theory in college. Right. I, just, I just knew what I knew on the piano. Um, and you wouldn't learn a whole lot of that in high school. Generally, no, you'll learn not. like what a ma major scale is and yeah. how to, notes are written and things. But even like I that. wasn't Intervals taught that. And things. Yeah. So it, so from going, uh, and that was like what my third semester. So that having just learned, okay, this is what makes a major scale the what the whole whole half whole 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 half, uh, kind of thing. 
with the interval and the rules and then going full blast into okay this is what a secondary dominant is and i'm like sorry what well see that's the beauty of music and <clears throat> i i look at it almost like science it is very much like a science. the more that i learn about music the more i know i don't know yeah it's that simple it, it very and, much is you know and Every time I get a light bulb that goes off, and I'm like, wow, now I can make this sound and make that sound, and I've got a great handle on it. Um, I still don't, there's just so, so much, much more, more I don't know. It's it, like it, it pops up a whole new blend of questions. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's the process of discovery, at least for uh, the lifetime of humanity. We, only, we knew a certain amount of things, but once we learned, so, you know, there's a circle of knowledge that we have. But that circle of knowledge creates this bigger circle of knowledge, which creates this bigger circle of you know questions and answers that create this bigger and bigger. That's why it's so complex. We have so much complexity because we have been growing our knowledge, 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 and with each increase of knowledge, gives an increase of questions that we Maybe, have to figure out. And that's why it's infinite. It is. And I heard this. <laughs> well, I was looking in the. I don't know. I stumbled on multiverses. Yeah. Right. Some people like. And so is this basically this statement that you know multi some people think that there are infinite well it, it goes in relation to the fine tuning aspect of the universe right and that without very precise minuscule differences in the fine tuning of distances and, and the earth and atoms and how they the interact. universe would basically collapse yes it wouldn't exist and and it's such a sound scientific principle that a lot of people in the scientific community theorize on multiverses mm -hmm. because they say okay well the reason that we have a universe that's fine-tuned they say it's because is it's because tried. it's been tried in, in infinite ways and and yeah and they go how many times? Well, probably an infinite number of times. And I'm saying, okay, here's here's science appealing to the concept of infinity. Mm -hmm. And what is infinity? infinity? It's a made up concept in our head, or it's not, because we know that no matter how many things you have of something, you can have one more. Right. So you can never get to the end. So there's infinity. Mm -hmm. So you're going to tell me that infinity universes expanded and destroyed itself, and this this one is standing because it was it took that. What they're saying is the math for the fine tuning is so so precise, so precise that if it was random, you'd have to try infinity times to get right. <laughs> the, exactly, the number is so high. It's infinity or practically infinity i think they're appealing to god yeah I mean, right yeah i think they're appealing to hey there's god because god is infinite right right god understands infinities beyond and that's one of the arguments for god is because it's so finely tuned it has to be created and then yeah there was the japanese scientist um i can't think of his name right off the top of my head who came out and basically said that um, and he's really well respected. I think he's got a Nobel Prize, and and I think that's probably where I started reading a little bit about the multiverse and 
people's explanation of it. And I always thought that was interesting. It, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. so music is kind of like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, ne- I'm, I never know enough music. Right. And I can, you know, but in the context of your culture or your the sounds that you know, so let's say in terms of 12-tone harmony or whatever, in in Western music, I can manipulate those 12 tones pretty well at mm-hmm. this point because there's only so many combinations and ways that go. you can do yeah. this sort of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But then I, I, I had some people several years back that um, at our church that wanted to play an Arvo Pear composition. Um, what's it called? Um, I don't know. I'm blanking. That's okay. <laughs> it basically means in a a mirror dimly lit or a, a mirror. What is that called? Spiegelim Spiegel. Spiegelim Spiegel. Name of the piece. Check it out. It's awesome, and it's all in a major scale, and it's a piano and a violin part, and it's these rising and falling repetitive things, just using the white keys on the piano. And I said to Matt Monticchio one day, I'm like, what is he doing? Because this is all just diatonic. Right. Meaning it's all just the white keys. It's not going out of the key. There's none oh. of all that stuff you yep. just talked about. Secondary it's just dominance. Staying and all in that. the scale. Just staying in the scale, which should sound stupid after a while. It should sound stupid after a while. And it's just so beautiful. Right. And so he he um, referred me to a YouTube video of a guy explaining how Arvo Parrott composes and some of the things he's doing. And it's all mathematical principles that he's using. So he uses these mathematical principles and cycles them. And that's yeah. what you're hearing. You're hearing this repetitiveness that's changing. Mm-hmm. Right? So... What do they call that? Serial music. So, yeah, yeah. Serial music, right? Oh, Where you take yeah, some yeah. concept, yeah. right? And oh, you my. just make that thread run through it. So it's kind of taking... And, and I think there's something to that. There's a beauty there in that when it's done well. Well, no. I, and it's hard to do because was, you have to do what we were talking about. You have to get to the underlying principles. Mm-hmm. And so I have my own... I've been, I do what I call... Um, Fractal music. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you know fractals. Yeah, fractals. Fractals are, are a visual thing generally. Like yeah. you know the um, like the arts that it's an X and Y. It's math, right? Yeah. And it's a pattern, a fractal pattern using X and Y coordinates as a pattern. It repeats itself, mm-hmm. kind of like a tree branch does, although it can be in any kind of pattern. Where you see this one thread running through all of the parts right right like rivers yeah it's the serial music uh, that was like music theory four for for us where you have to uh you have to you can you can take a sequence of notes and you can invert it you can reverse it or you can flip it like uh interval wise and it's i'm pretty sure that's what you're talking about yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah yeah. it's and it's the most mind-boggling thing It, it made me mad (laughs) because <laughs> it's so it's so meticulous because you say you have say you have this note line you have c e 
to G, A, B, back to C. You have that note line. You can reverse that so it's C, B, whatever I just said. I can't even remember that. And then you have to, so if you have that C, E, uh, G, B, C, of C, E, G, B, C, I could, I could do that. Now you have to invert those, those uh, intervals. So what, what is C to E? Inverted. That's C to A now. Uh, yeah, yeah right. C A. Uh, what's what's the what's the relationship between the E and the G? Uh, a third. So you have in its in its is it up or down? Then you have to decide that. So it, it, and then you can retrograde that and make that into reverse and then flip that. It's so well. It's the idea of saying, okay, can I come up with a mathematical principle? Process, yeah. yeah, mathematical process that gives me a set of tones in a certain that way. produce a certain. This this is where I want to go with it though. Those that those set of tones or whatever that you produce in serial music are useless if they don't produce some kind of emotional connection cool. yeah. or impact. Right. So can I come up with a mathematical arrangement of tones that can be manipulated mathematically? Right. Can I science emotion? That's what you're saying. Yeah, right. And that that produces a certain emotion. And that's hard. That's very hard it's to do. It's very yes. hard. It's so rewarding once you do it because because it captures the thing that you capture just from playing, right? So, you you know, I often try to use this example with students about rock musicians. You see a guy and he's just playing like two notes back Mm -hmm. and forth and he's putting so much emotion into it. And that's emotional music. He's putting emotion into it. He's connecting with those two notes really emotionally <laughs> but i might lose the connection cuz i'm like well okay those two notes i'm not connecting with those mm-hmm. over and over again right yeah. something else needs to happen for me to connect with it and so you can play and you can connect emotionally to all types of music no matter how well composed it is or not mm-hmm. right but to take a composition and have the emotion in the composition well composed, and then to be this beautiful, elegant, mathematical structure like a small poem mm-hmm. is just really, really rewarding to me, and it's very difficult to do, but like that's the kind of stuff puzzle. I like to try to write. Yeah, that's... I I, I mean, cause, because it's so anti-musical, in a sense... Because it, it makes it makes no logical, well, it makes logical sense, just not to the ears of those who are listening to it, right? So having to take that impossibility of sound and uh, manipulate it into something that I could listen to and, and make sense out of is, is very, very rewarding, very hard, and a practice in discipline for sure. <laughs> Because you got to know what you're doing. Well, and I haven't really studied serial music, so I just know vaguely about it, right? But mm-hmm. I've listened to it, like Schoenberg and sure, Weber yep. and some of these guys from post-World War One, mm-hmm. And they have their moments, but their music is, uh, quote-unquote, difficult. It, yeah, it's right? atonal, it's, yeah. It's atonal, right, yeah. I mean, so, it doesn't make musical sense. Well, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't ha- no, it doesn't yeah, have so, to be. See, and that's the thing. Right. And that's where Arvo Pear is so beautiful. He's not doing serial music for the sake of it or to say I'm breaking down all convention of yeah. harmony. He's 
He's doing serial music to produce something beautiful. Exactly. Because those mathematical... And then I've seen breakdowns of Bach and stuff where he's doing that basically in his right. pieces. And he, I don't know if he's doing it intentionally, but he's doing all that flipping the intervals, running that's the what, melodies backwards. That's what the fugues are. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly what they are. Right. So it's beautiful to do that. It is. It's beautiful. It's an exercise. And yeah, there's, I mean, you can, if you really wanted to, you could break it down and like this postmodern, uh, what is music or what, like that kind of, that kind of thing. But at that point, what are you saying? Right? It's all the, it's, at the, what, what is the piece trying to convey? Is it trying to convey chaos? Because you can do that during... Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, but see, and, and at that time, where the guys like Weber and um, Schoenberg and those, mm-hmm. they were the, what were they called? The Vienna, Viennese Vien- School, yeah. yeah, School of Vienna. That was like World War One days. I mean, that was, that was... Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, right. nausea and existential nausea is what I'm trying to get at, right? Yeah. The meaninglessness, the chaos, the mm-hmm. brutality of life, all of that stuff. In the post, postmodernism. It was honest. Is. I yeah. guess it's honest is what I'm saying. It's an honest, honest. expression, yeah, you know, of... I don't think it was just a mental exercise, put it that way. It wasn't academic. Mm. And... Yeah, their music has that that existential tension in it that makes you want to throw up after a while. You ever listen uh, to the Hiroshima piece? Uh, was it a Phenomeny? Something like that, where it starts out with uh, all just violins, just kind of screeching. Mm-mm. It's a it's it, so it was made uh, after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and it's like a tribute to that. Where uh, they use these the violins and it's it's god awful to listen to, but it's on purpose because yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's showing uh, the screaming of you know the people and it just cuts out and it's like it's a truly a uh, uh, what what are the pieces called that are for uh, programmatic pieces? It's tru- truly a yeah. programmatic piece in that it's displaying and it, and it uses all these principles the 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 serialism the atonality to uh, push to push it. If you, you should listen to uh, some of the classic music of uh, the thousands and and the the like war stuff. It's really really interesting stuff to listen to stuff you wouldn't think about. Well, yeah, I mean, I've heard my share of that stuff, and I've listened to my share of that stuff, and that's kind of interesting. I, you know, because. Because I work with a lot of guys, they're in the higher high art, right? Mm-hmm. High art, right? So it's big art. Or you know, this higher aesthetic, right? And I'm into that too, uh, yeah, right? I I like that stuff a lot. But what do I have on my playlist when I drive? Probably not that. Not too much of that. Not really, because I like it on an intellectual sense. I even like it on, you know, a, a radical m- emotions that it provokes. Mm-hmm. It's not that I wouldn't emotionally connect with it. It's just that in that's not the emotions that I want to 
be producing in myself mm. when I'm driving. It, that, that's fair. Oftentimes, my playlist has a bunch of, it's all over the place. I have stuff from the classical period all the way up from like Baroque all the way up to like 90s hip hop and all these different things. So whenever uh, Box Sonata comes on, I'm like, okay, I can't be bothered to listen to this right now. Well, you know, you have, and that's the thing that, about music, which is really interesting. I found this very interesting. Especially since, you know, I, I do recording and I engineer recordings and I mix recordings. And, but the simple fact is this. A song, you have a song you like, mm -hmm. but you don't like it all the time. And if you're not in the mood for it, suddenly you do not like it. Mm -hmm. Not for this moment anyway. Right, right. right. Yeah. So... So what is that? That means that somehow your listening experience to music is is governed by your emotional state. And and the inverse can be true too. If you listen to a song, your emotional state can change radically. Can change radically, and that's the power of music right there. Yeah. That gets into some deep philosophical stuff about how vibrations can change you, how how Sounds, pitches, manipulate, uh, and that goes in even even the cultural stuff. Like how, why is minor, why is the minor uh, mode always sad or or stuff like that, which isn't necessarily true. Because, right. But yeah, it's not ne it's necessarily true, and and is it the pitches? It's see music, and that's why I'm saying music's so broad because it it, it spans across the pitches and it spans across the cultural it brings all of these things into play and when you when you sing and have lyrics it, there's language and there's so no, what i'm trying to say is yeah tones and frequencies affect your physiology they affect your emotions but so do ideas mm. and the progression of ideas so so music is a progression of ideas. And this is the hardest thing that I have, when it comes to teaching music, this is the hardest nut to crack with students. Students will say, yeah, I like the certain kind of music. And they'll listen to songs and they'll make a judgment about that song within 10 seconds. 10 seconds. And what are they making those judgments on? They're making the judgments on the sound, the beat, the the timbre, what they think the genre is, the the recording quality, so the the era that it came from, right? All of this kind of stuff. They're making these snap judgments in them, and I'm trying to say to them, hey, you know, it's a progression of ideas. You have to keep. You listening, yeah. <laughs> you gotta it's listen a, to the whole thing. It's without, a story. It's, it's not, a story. Yeah. yeah, and so I say, it's like it's like young people that they can't watch a black and white movie. It's they they can't. They're so used to uh, being overstimulated, anything being less. overstimulated by computer graphics that it's like, well, it's a black and white movie. It's a black and white film, but it's a story. So, yeah, you have to, and in any story, if you go to see a show on stage, you don't think that that's really happening do you right. right it's not really you have to suspend your, your belief, belief right? right and so you watch this black and white movie and 
you suspend your belief. You know it's a movie. I mean, after all, you watch a, a modern movie that's all computer graphics, and I have yeah. to suspend my belief quite a bit. Because right, it's yeah. like, well, it's just all computer graphics. Who Avatar. cares, right? <laughs> I like watching those old 70s movies where there's lots of car crashes scenes what because it's all real cars, cars yeah. and stuntmen and you see like all these close calls and you're like, man, how did that guy do that? How'd they film that? Yeah, yeah right. right. But nowadays it's just like, well, they just well, did obviously. that on a computer. Who right. cares, right? There's no danger involved there. Yes. it's it, Imagine going to see the new Marvel movie and, and 10 minutes in you're like, I can't be bothered. You, you, yeah, you know, right, you, yeah. You, you haven't sat through and watched the entire thing yet. Or it's... So, so people are very quick to, and also I've noticed people just have really really short attention spans nowadays because that's that's Definitely. the that's the content we consume. It's now it's like three minutes now and it's good and it, or it's bad, and it's on to the next thing. And I must be consumed constantly by these by these memes that only take like ten seconds to understand or or look at, or these TikToks that only take like a minute minute and a half of time. And now I can't consume bigger pieces of art because the art that I'm used to con- uh, consuming is rather low, sometimes more like more than not low quality content with within a short amount of time. Right. And it gets over the quality versus quantity argument of, of art and how that affects our as a, as a society. Well, I think it's a, I think that discussion is hands down it's a very negative effect. <laughs> it is. It very much is. Now, the, you know, the the exact details of that, there's a lot of them. But, yeah, it's a very negative effect because, yeah, you know, the all of these things that we just talked about, about getting to the nuts and bolts of the principles of how something works, you're getting to, you know, the concepts of that there is truth. Mm-hmm. But... It's like, well, postmodernism. We're, I, I tend to say, well, we're post postmodernism. Right. Like, I was born when postmodernism started, basically. So I'm your, I'm Gen X, right? Mm. I was born in '65. So I look at postmodernism to be that early '60s period. That's really the beginning of it. And yeah, we're way post that. So some people would call it we're in. And culturally, here in America, we're post-Christian, right? Yes, you know, right, yeah. yeah or po- I that. prefer to f- call it post-truth because postmodernism sort of, to my understanding, postulates that basically truths are narratives. Truths are narratives, and yeah. you have your own narrative, and you have your Everybody own truth. Everybody has their own truth and yep. own narrative. What's right? true for you isn't always true for me. I don't even think people believe that anymore. I, I don't know if people ever believe that to begin with. Exactly, right. So we're post... Post, post mod, modernity. Post anything. We're, I, I feel like we're basically, basically at where Nietzsche called will to power. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's, that's, that's how it seems like things work. It, that if, is. If, There's no truth but if power. If we win, right? we're right. Yeah. yeah if we enforce our will, we're right. I mean, that, that's, that's the catchphrase today. There's no truth but power. No what, truth but power? Is yeah. that the catchphrase? That's the, that's, I'm not up that's on the, it. That's the catchphrase that, uh, at least politically, that's what, that's well, that's what they say. that's not new. Yeah. 
No, it's not. It's not new at all. That's that's Nietzsche will to power exactly. Well, so it, well, I mean, even even then, it's it's older than that. You know what I mean? Because whatever whoever won set the narrative anyway. Right. There is no truth but power, and but that can be. But it's being used in such a way. That's funny because I just was having a conversation with somebody about that. Um, you know, in the ancient world, the conquerors. King of the conquering nation, he was considered God, and he set the rules. They were the law, the law, right? Right. And then, but the seeds that were laid even in the ancient world, they came to fruition, and we became, we started to be, to um, believe in the law as a principle above the God or above the, right? The rule of law, rule we be, of law. right? We right. became uh, we came to believe in the rule of law. So we had the Magna Carta and the Constitution mm-hmm. and the holy documents of the rule of law. Right, right. And now we're at will to power. Right, right. Well, whatever we make law is now the law, or whatever we whoever want to be makes the law. the law is the law. Is the law. So yeah. we're back to square one. <laughs> we're back to the ancient world. We're back to whoever gains power and makes the law, whether it's a group. Now, now it could be a group or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know. Dark times. Seems like. Yeah, they yeah. are dark times. Yeah. I think I, I lawlessness. lawlessness. Okay. So yeah, right. we're, so last yesterday, more mass shootings and all this. And, you know, everyone's quick to blame guns and all that. Not going down that debate road. Right lawlessness that's why we can't have guns mm-hmm. or people think we can't have guns we can come on down one side whether there should be guns or not and if you say we shouldn't have guns it's because of lawlessness cuz nobody really ever thought that in the past and there were plenty of guns everywhere and plenty of weapons mm-hmm. right and the reason that you, you, people didn't think we had to control the weapons is because there was law. <laughs> there was people law. believed in law, and not only that, there was training as well. You know, people didn't have guns just to have guns. They had guns. They had guns because because they, they knew how to use them. They knew how to use them exactly. And they had the respect of because a, a gun is a tool. It's not. Right. It's, it's it's just like a hammer, just like anything else. It's a tool, and we use it to either to either uh, for defense, for food, for for protection, for whatever. You can use them in, in different ways. It's the respect of a gun that needs to be instilled to have a safe population. Right, really. and with lawlessness, you can't you have can't that. You can't have that. It's not possible. It's not possible. That's right. So maybe the only solution is taking the guns away, right? But, you know. And there's it's, it's, there's either there's these two options. That it's, just means somebody right. else is... Who's going to take away the guns? And then they're going to have a person with a gun. Exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> so you don't ever actually take the guns away. You just you just get concentrated into yeah. A group. You just focus them into a certain controlling exactly a it's, party. It's 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 why it's uh, the the popular saying on the right is uh, an armed population is a polite population because they know everybody has a gun, so you don't mess around with nobody because. There's a gun behind every blade of grass. Yeah, and if that were true, that would be cool. But that's not actually the way. I don't think that's the, actually the way it plays out. 
Yeah, right. We yeah, have, we have we're, all these. We're armed enough to see that we don't right. have a polite population. We have a crazy lawless, um, and I think, I, quite frankly, you know, systemic mental illness. I was just societal about to say it's, mental illness at this point. Well, we've been uh, raised in a population where we're all very deeply narcissistic. Oh, the only people, the only reason why. Or the the majority of the reason why people go out and cause these mass tragedies is because they want attention. You know, they want their name to be known. They want their they want their their ideology to be known. They want you know they want all of these things, these ideas of theirs to be known and shown. And whether it be uh, political or just for fame, whatever they want to be known, or or that's also the mental stuff that that has that has that. And yeah, I don't know that I would even try to generalize about why people would do the kinds of things they do. But I can say this. It's satanic. It is, yeah. It's satanic. Yeah. Yeah, right, it's, it's all bad. It's all bad, yes. It's all bad. it's all bad, exactly. What causes people to do that? So it's a, a spirit that's driven by all kinds of fear and anger and unforgiveness and deception mm-hmm. and lies and uh, everything that's satanic right? manipulation yeah. and so how do we as Christians combat that we have to stand in Christ and endure in love and joy in all circumstances and then you're a witness and where a Christian will get overwhelmed in a society that's where we are, a modern society, and I mean one that's, you know, everything's connected by media and everything, mm-hmm. where a Christian gets overwhelmed is thinking that somehow they have to do something to change the world, to change the country, to change the government, to change the powers that are... That, and I'm not saying you shouldn't take actions to do things and people are called to do things like that. Mm-hmm. But you'll be overwhelmed if you're looking every day to see what the state of those systems are because those systems are fallen and they're and they're going to be and they're, satanic. And they're ultimately. already corrupt. And they've they're been corrupted. They're, they're, for those years. systems are corrupted. So if you're looking every day at that, then that that is going to be very destructive to your faith mm-hmm. and it and it will keep you from doing what I was talking about with finding the joy being ready to find the joy right I won't be ready to find the joy because all of this other stuff it's just right uh, hammering the down end of the you. world is coming yeah. and it is you know some <laughs> the end of the world's coming so like <laughs> yeah. how did you know how did Paul sing in prison how did the how did the disciples do what they did? Well, they weren't really looking to tomorrow or for the government to change or for their circumstances to change. Or, or um, It was the finding the joy of the Lord that moment. And it was uh, community. And community, yeah. And then, and the that's, body of Christ. If you want right. to, yeah, if you want to change something, go to your community. That's, that's you know, right, that's right the there. building block. What? There is no government. There is no. There is no all power of people. 
that doesn't stem from community, right? Exactly. That's why I love what I do with Swan. And right now they're having a summer camp, and I decided not to do it this summer because it would be too overwhelming. Mm. Um, But, you know, they work with kids who have parents that are incarcerated. And so I've got students there that I started with in elementary school, and now they're in middle school. And, you know, I see that progression and just being there and being involved in their lives. I can do more that way than lobbying Congress to change the laws about sentencing or whatever Whatever. political aspects or, you know, or... Because they wouldn't be needed if you changed changed or impacted the lives of the people that would be affected by it. Right. right? If I could have impacted that person's life that's in prison now that has children... There wouldn't be a need. There, for, he wouldn't have been in prison. He wouldn't be in prison. There exactly. There wouldn't be a need to have that policy. I need to just go right there where it is, right there in my backyard, and do it. And start. Yeah. You got to start at the root. The it's it's uh, politicians like to put band aids on solutions. They don't like to root the cause, right? Right. Politicians, the way I see it, the political process, they're not all about. Finding the the, the root of the, the problem. way things work, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the they're, underlying they're, yeah. principles that we were talking about, and then fashioning to, things from the ground up on the underlying principles. Not at all. Not at all. They just, and they just want to ban- put band aids on it, put band aids on it, or expand themselves to put band aids on it to gain more power. And the way you s- fix that is by working within your community, helping the people that really need the help, so that way they don't end up in the system anyway. Exactly, yeah. And that's what a lot of people miss. If you want to change the world, change your community. That's how you. That's how you. It's a. It's a bottom up process, not a top down process. Yeah, I'm right there. <laughs> and so that's kind of what. That's kind of how I do the things that I do. You know, because like, like I was talking about working with kids early on and just thought, well, that would be a cool thing to do. Yeah, because they're the because future. That's right. right. You know, it's like that's meaningful. Right. It's, and that's that's legacy. That's yeah, that's how you that's how you raise a generation is by working with the kids. You don't raise a generation by working with the parents. I, you know, and I think for musicians and stuff, since we're sort of talking, you know, this, this series is the pre- is premised on music and mm-hmm. music careers or whatever. That's the thing, is how do you make your musical career have a real impact on people's lives Mm. for Christ? Don't focus so much on the musical career. Focus on the people in it. Right, (laughs) yeah, right. Maybe they're involved in music or whatever, or maybe they're not. Maybe there's some other ministries you can be involved in. They will all add to your music Mm -hmm. because they'll give you a better depth. Something to share. Something to share. So you've been on, you've had many gigs, many been in part of many shows. What are some of, and going to a lighter note, what what are some of the funnier or maybe worst things that have happened to uh, you during a show? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that for a while. <laughs> Funny things. <laughs> I've seen some weird things on gigs. And not funny but funny hmm 
Well, what are some of the weird ones? Well, let me think. <laughs> what can I share? Because well, yeah. I play, you know, when I was playing on the Chitlin circuit, uh, there some of those clubs were owned by some real um, organized criminals. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I would show up at some some clubs, and they would be shut down because somebody got shot in them oh, wow. earlier the night before, or whatever stuff like that. But so I was in one club. Where the owner, who was this big organized criminal guy, his son came in and they had some kind of cake there. And they were having some big row and big argument while we were up there playing. And the son took this big cake and slammed it on top of the guy's head. <laughs> <laughs> but you keep playing. You don't right, stop. of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But that's funny. I often tell some people I work with who are more like composition oriented and um or you know that they get easily distracted by things like bad sound or mm-hmm. something like that and I say you need to go play in bars. Mm-hmm. Cuz people don't care. <laughs> yeah, cuz people are talking and yeah, if waitresses are dropping glasses and Right. What, yeah, all kinds of things are going on. And you can't be distracted. Yeah, yeah, you have to keep playing. You got to keep playing. Just, the worst thing to do is stop the music. Right. Because you, if you do that, it's, you know, the facade is broken. Right? <laughs> the facade is broken. I mean, that's kind of what it is, isn't it? It's, yeah. Because it's all of, it's all of, because people aren't going to notice if you mess up, but what they'll, they'll notice if the music stops. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then they'll be like, let's go. Oh. And then, you know, some, there's like a disaster on stage and like, oh, what is going on here? Yeah, like I suppose all kinds of things have happened, like amps starting on fire, things like that. There was a story of a, a guy, the, the drummer got sick on, on all of his drums and the band couldn't do oh anything. Oh my gosh. But keep <laughs> <laughs> That's gross. Yeah, right. Now, if, if he would hit those drums... After he did that, yeah. I I recently, just for fun with one of my uh, students who's a kid, I put some water on the drum heads and like, now hit it. (laughs) Water water goes spraying everywhere. They like that. It's fun for sure, but eh, when it's a little grosser stuff, uh, he said that what they did, they they just like, all right, and they finished their set and it was like, all right, five minute break, just wash everything, then went back to it. I'll tell you what my worst experience for gigs was, though. Mm-hmm. Frat parties. Really? You need to avoid those. <laughs> for what reasons? Oh, just some of the things I witnessed with frat parties were sure. over the pale. And just this kind of attitude. And maybe it was the colleges, the frats, you know, were very well wealthy ones. And they seemed to have this attitude that they could do anything and just... Like get away with it. Get away with it, yeah. yeah. So the one time we were playing a frat party and there was all these guys up on a balcony above us, above the stage in the back. And they were pouring beer on us. And the singer was like, Don't pour beer up here. We have a hundred thousand watts of power. Right. <laughs> you know? You're gonna kill us. Yeah, somebody's gonna go boom. <laughs> oh, that's not fun. So uh, a few few final questions. What what is worship to you? How would you define worship? 
Well, worship is the—it's really the total commitment of your life, right? So it's the mm-hmm. total sum of submitting everything that you do to God, and knowing that it doesn't belong to you; it belongs to Him. I think you know. To me, worship is pretty much that. It's like so. The New Testament talks about bringing the sacrifice of praise. So we talk about worship in a musical sense, and we say we sing, we bring the sacrifice of praise. But I think on a broader sense, he's saying, we're giving you the sacrifice of ourselves. We're just thanking you that we're not our own anymore. Mm. You know, we're... Everything we have belongs to you. So it's just really, and worship is that constant um, keeping in perspective who God is and who I am. And that all of this stuff is God. When the bad stuff happens, it's God. When I fall out of sin or fall into sin, And God brings me out of it, it's God. Mm-hmm. When bad things happen to me, it's God. <laughs> when good things happen to me, it's God. It's it's really easy to sort of go to think, well, I worked really hard and I did this good thing. That's me. Mm-hmm. No, that's God. Mm-hmm. But it's also on the flip side just easy to say, well, this thing didn't go the way I want, or this painful thing happened, or somebody died, or some bad thing really happened. And that's the devil. Right. No, it's God. (laughs) Right? It's it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands, right? right? We're in a fallen world, and all of the things that happen in my life are are God's. Right. Yeah, he's in... And everything. He's in the failures and he's in the triumphs. So when you worship, you just put that it's it's that's all in pers- that's what you're doing. You're going. So when we gather together as a body to worship, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. We're collectively saying this is all yours. We're here as a body and we're giving you the sacrifice of ourselves of knowing that we belong to you and all this other stuff belongs to you. Yeah. You're you, and we're we. Where are we? <laughs> so what is what is? Oh, do you have more to say on that? No, no, okay. pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing that you know now that you would wish you had known when you first started? Hmm. Well, there's probably a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, I'm sure there's a million things. So like, yeah, like when I first started music. Um. Well, how about going to college? Like, um, my thing was, I want to play jazz drums. I want to play jazz drums. That's all I want to do. Like when I first started in school band, fifth grade or whatever, and I I went to the band director and I was like, I want to play drums. Mm -hmm. He's like, Yeah, I know. Everybody wants to play drums. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you? Why don't you try blowing in this little mouthpiece here? You might be good at it. You don't have to play trumpet. Just Try it. I'm like, nope, not going to try it. 
Mm-hmm. I want to play drums. <laughs> Why don't you try this reed here? You know, this, you know, you might like it. Nope. Want to play drums. So I had the same attitude going to college. I want to play jazz drums. I want to play jazz drums. Well, I didn't know myself that well. Because that's not all I wanted to do. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to play bass. I wanted to compose. You know, I wanted to do all these other types of things. I wanted to teach. So maybe if I would have known that better, known myself a little better, and been open to suggestions from others, I might have switched majors. Because the major was jazz studies, concentration and percussion. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is fine. But I would have learned how to jazz drum anyway. Right? That's what you're doing. Yeah, because you do learn that by doing it. Yeah. Right? And so... That was the least of the things I could have gotten out of college, I think, was jazz drumming. Um, I could have learned a lot more from composition or, or arranging or getting, you know, uh, music, mm-hmm. still music, but, or even an education degree. But what's funny is, you know, I teach so much, and I think about 10 years ago, <clears throat> my dad and mom were visiting, and they said, do you remember what you said to us in high school, George? I was like, no, what? You said that you would never be a music teacher. <laughs> so yeah, I probably did say that. So again, I didn't I didn't really know myself that well. So what would I do different? Well, I yeah. Maybe make some assessments different than I did back then, not be so like single-minded about stuff. Be do some introspection. Yeah, more introspection before deciding what what route to take yeah that's important for us musicians because uh, we can get so driven and so focused on oh i want to do this i want to be like like this person but it's so important to take a step back uh and and this can include prayer as well it should, probably should include prayer uh but just to sit back and be like okay what is something i would want to do in like five years or ten years or what is something that i can see myself doing uh besides drumming right Get get whatever your main focus is out of your head. What is something else that I could do? Something else that I like, uh, or I would want to do, and and go from there, and and try that. See if it works out or not. Right. Yeah, definitely. Being open minded to that, I guess, is the thing, yeah. right? Because you know, and and I think it's a thing of youth where you you think you know what you think you know life's everything. about yep. and what you want, but you really don't because yeah, you, you haven't really, really tried it yet. Well, with all that said, you can find George at, at church at Wheatland. Um, I, I've been there a few times. It's it's a really interesting, good church to go to. You guys are you? You guys don't do Saturdays, do you? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Some Presbyterians are all, are all about the Saturday Sabbath. I did not know that. No. No. Pretty sure it's Presbyterians that that, that there's a there's a sect of Presbyterians that are like Sabbath is the is the worship day. Or at least I remember arguing arguing with the Presbyterians here about <laughs> it. <laughs> Amongst the many things we argue here at Bible College. Right. <laughs> the important stuff. The important stuff, yeah. When is your Sabbath? Well, that's pretty important, I admit. It is, well, yeah, it is pretty important. but Because, um, yeah, you're supposed to have a Sabbath, but it doesn't have to be a Sunday. It doesn't have to be a Saturday. It can be, it's, it's the day whenever you focus on the Lord, Right. So now you can be I don't know. That's beyond my pay grade, as <laughs> I like to say. 
<laughs> I refer to my pastor for questions like that. No, seriously. No, I know. Yeah. I, I know. I, I understand because it's it can get into. So yeah, many, it gets pretty it yeah. gets dicey for sure. Because whatever I say on stuff like that, then once I start talking to guys like that, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Well, with all that said, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm gonna have uh, a guy named Bjorn Jacobson. He's a really cool cat around here. And that, excuse me, that excuse me again. That'll be at ten thirty. If you really like this, you can like, subscribe, search us up on just look up the story Corey Rosen on any platform, and you'll find us there. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye, guys.